Good morning, Pathway. Good morning, you folks online. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, last week was an interesting week. Uh, we were taking our grandkids back to Lexington, so we left after church, uh, second service last week. And uh, I had points uh, from my uh, credit card, so we stopped at a Marriott about 11 o'clock Sunday night. And I'd forgotten something in the car, so I went back out, and, and Kai told me he was going to go to the bathroom. That's my little... Uh, 11, he's going to be 12, well, he is 12 now today, uh, 12 year old grandson. So I come back up and he said, Poppy, uh, I think the toilet's clogged up. And uh, I said, How could you do that? Those things are like, you know, they're a vacuum. <laughs> you know? But it was. And so uh, I sent Brenda down to talk to the person at the front desk to explain the situation. And, uh, and so Kai walks up to the guy very bravely and said, uh, we need a plunger. And uh, the man goes, I don't know if we have one. And so he goes back and looks. He comes back out and he goes, and the maintenance people are gone. He goes, I'm going to have to give you a room across the hall. So that's how our trip started. You know, uh, uh, kids, grandkids keep it real. But he got back in my good graces the next day because he recited the, the stories from the sermon. And he told me, Poppy, I was so proud of you. So that was okay. You know, he's, he's a good kid. Uh, today we begin week three of Healing Choices. Our faith walk begins with a decision to follow Christ, but then there's steps that we need to take as we mature in that walk and become the person that uh, God wants us to be and live the life that He intends us to live. I used to coach five-year-olds in basketball, five- and six-year-olds, and when you coach them, uh, you know, you start out with real basics, like you don't grab the basketball and run all the way down the court without dribbling. You got to dribble once in a while. And then by the end of the season, they could dribble some with their right hand, and a few were even able to dribble with their left hand. But then I coached 12-year-olds. Now, 12-year-olds, man, some of those guys were going between their legs, behind their back, and doing reverse layups. And uh, it was a process. You know, they, they started out at this stage, and they moved to this stage. When we come to faith in Christ, we come to a decision that we make to follow Christ and we follow Christ, but it's a growing up process as we learn to surrender more and more of our lives to Him and, and, and to follow Him. We've been looking at Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, uh, sometimes known as the Beatitudes. And as we seek to discover God's best practices for our lives. Week 1, we discover we're not God. Week 2, we discovered that God offers hope. And the hope choice really involves uh, these things, that God exists, that uh, we matter to Him, and even more importantly, that He has the power to change us and to, to make us new creations in Christ. If we stop after step one and two, uh, we're going to miss out on some of God's best stuff uh, that He has for us. You see, knowing is not enough. Think about it. There are a lot of things that you know and that I know that really aren't life-changing. Like I know if you go to Walmart and it's not there, it doesn't exist. But, th but that's not life-changing. It really isn't life-changing. This morning, the, the, we come to what the Bible calls a chaos moment. Uh, we all have the same timetable. We, you know, we have uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But there are special moments Kairos moments is the Greek word. Uh, it's opportune times. And it's in those opportune times that the choices we make have eternal consequences 
and also have consequences for how we live out our lives. And the decisions you make today are chaos moments, opportune moments. Uh, let's look at the third healing choice. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You say, well, that's not all that earth-shaking. In fact, most of you don't even believe that. And don't feel bad because the people that heard Jesus say it didn't believe it either. They weren't looking for a meek God. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to come and take care of the Romans who had them in captivity and who was going to set them up as God's chosen people where once again they would have their rightful place in the world. So this statement, happy are the meek, must have sounded a little bit crazy to them. The life God intends for you and I to live starts with meekness. And you say, wait a minute. I, I don't want to meet God. I want the one with his face painted blue and holding a sword yelling, freedom! I think we have a picture of that somewhere. You know? What do you think about when you think of meek? Let's be honest. Uh, most of us think wimpy, mousy, you know. Uh, it's almost football season. And a decade or so ago, Florida won two national championships with a quarterback that couldn't pass, but he was an incredible runner. And can you imagine Coach Meyer saying to Tim Tebow, Tim, I want you to go out there and I want you to nurture that defensive lineman that's chasing you. I want you to encourage him. No, <laughs> you know, run him over, you know. Let me offer a more... Uh, accurate and I think a, a different picture of what meekness looks like. As some of you know, I'm a Kentucky boy and I grew up in central Kentucky where we proudly proclaim to be the horse capital of the world. Thoroughbred racing is a big deal in Lexington. And there was a lady in, in my church there who was the chief financial officer for one of the horse farms. So I got to go there one time but to see Holy Bull. Holy Bull was the horse of the year in 1994. He was a gray thoroughbred, which is kind of unusual. They're usually not gray. And so when they brought this horse out for me to see it, I was in awe. I'm a little over six foot tall. I'm about six one, and, and I came to about the, the shoulders of that horse. He was just monstrously big. And then I thought about those tiny little jockeys that weigh about 120 pounds, get on top of that horse and ride at breakneck speed around a track. Uh, that, that's just crazy. But they control that monstrously big animal. Do you know that the Greek word for meek has the same word that describes a horse that's been trained by a trainer? Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means power under control. Power under control. Someone who is meek is strong enough to be gentle, strong enough to be tender, and yet strong enough to be forceful when necessary. Aristotle describes meekness as a balance between two extremes. A person who pushes forward when he needs to push forward and pulls back when he needs to pull back. But uh, you don't do that on your own. You're guided and you're trained. A horse is trained by a trainer. We come under the training of the Holy Spirit as he guides our lives. When Jesus says, 
Blessed are the meek or happy are the meek. It means happy are those who don't let their power go to their head, but instead surrender their strength to the Lordship of Jesus so that he can accomplish through our lives all that he wants to do through us. The spirit of meekness is the spirit of Jesus. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. Jesus, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten or get even. He left the case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. When the Bible (coughs) calls us to meekness, he calls us to surrendered control, power under control. So why is surrender so difficult for us? You know, the Bible's all about that we're surrendered to God. And and we're afraid of that because we're not quite sure what that's going to mean. We used to drive from uh, Florida when we were in Clearwater to Kentucky a lot. And you go through Georgia, and Georgia goes on forever. And we used to, we used to pray, God, call us anywhere except Georgia, you know. And, and so we were always afraid God was going to call us to Georgia or Oklahoma, or he might even call you to be an Ohio State fan. You, know, you never know what could happen. So we're a little afraid of that, and we, and, we, and we don't know what to say. Now, I don't like to fly because I'm under the illusion. I know that statistically it's much safer to fly than to drive. But you see, when I'm driving, I think I'm in control, you know. I know if I'm flying, I'm not in control. I have no idea what to do. If you guys get sick flying a plane, you pilots uh, get well because I, I wouldn't know what to do, you know. Uh, but when I'm driving, I kind of think I'm under control. We operate under the illusion that we control our lives and that, that we can uh, take care of things. So we're afraid to surrender. We might fail. Are you kidding? Anybody here ever failed? You know, uh, just think of, Husbands, if, if every time you failed, uh, you were kicked out, we have a lot of single people running around here. Wives don't nod your head so affirmatively. You know, but it, it's true. We, we all fail at times. One of my all-time favorite Bible verses is in 1 John. It says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. I'm glad he doesn't stop there. The next part says, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. God is saying, if you fail, I will not write you off. But if you try to live this one and only life that I've given you in your own strength, it's not going to end well. It's not going to come out well. We have a problem. We either operate under the illusion that we can fix our lives. Remember, we're not God, so we can't do that. Or we operate under the illusion that if we can't fix it, it can't be fixed, which is another way of saying the first one, you know. But we have to realize in God's power, anything can be changed, you know. The only limitation is the limitations we place on God because he's willing to bless us in a multitude of ways if we allow him to. His power is awesome and unending. In case you haven't noticed, uh, we as Christians are losing the battle for hearts and minds in this country. And the reason I believe is 
primarily. It's not whether or not we can have prayer in school. That's important. It's not whether or not, you know, we've kind of walked away from Christ a lot as a country. That's important. But I think it's because so many of us as Christians, the church, are not living out a surrendered life to God that is so awesome and so powerful. People say, I want that. That's what I want in my life. That's what I need in my life. Dr. Billy Graham shared a story of a group of folks from South Carolina, about a dozen of them, taking a train trip to New York to see my fair lady. And they told everybody about it, and they were on the train. Evidently, didn't plan real well. When they got there, all the tickets were sold, and they didn't have any tickets. And they told everybody they're going to New York to see my fair lady. Now they had to go back on the train. And so as they're standing on the street there feeling really disappointed, they notice the people coming out of the show are dropping their ticket stubs on the ground. And one South Carolina guy gets a great idea. He starts picking up all those ticket stubs, and they buy some programs, and they get the soundtrack of My Fair Lady. They go back to their motel, and they, they practice the songs and learn the songs. And they go home, and they show them the ticket stubs, and they show them the program, and they sing the songs. But there was something that was very difficult for those South Carolina folks because they were trying to prove something they had not seen and did not know. Grandma says that's exactly what happens to us sometimes in the life of the church. People can sing the songs, go through all the motions. We look really good. We sound really good. Uh, They seem to fit. But we've never really settled the commitment issue, the surrender issue. Uh, We know about the program. We don't know the Savior in a personal, intimate way. Doug Fields talks about being a Cub Scout. Any of you ever Cub Scouts? Oh, I see a couple of guys are willing to admit that. Uh, He said, I don't remember much about Cub Scouts, but I remember the pledge. You know, you, you, you raise two fingers, I will do my duty to God and country to defend myself against bullies who try to beat me up when I wear this blue uniform and a scarf with this dumb hat. Well, the last part's not really part of the pledge, but if you ever wore one of those uniforms, it's true at school, you know. I was a Cub Scout. I was made it all the way to Weblos. That's the highest of Cub Scouts. And I went to Cub Scout camp, and they were teaching us how to uh, drive a boat, and they forgot to tell me that you throttle down when you come into the, the dock. I hit the dock full speed ahead, knocked a couple people in the water. I don't think I got a badge for boat driving as a Cub Scout. You know, as a Scout, you, you can earn a lot of badges. You can put them on, sew them on your uniform, put them on your sash. And there's nothing wrong with those uniforms. They look pretty impressive. They're, they're pretty cool. But for many of us, we kind of treat our walk with Jesus like a badge, We struggle to surrender everything, and here's why. Jesus is just one of the accomplishments in our life. We've got a Jesus badge, and we've earned it because we went to church, and we've given some money, and we go to a Bible study, and maybe read the Bible once in a while, and pray once in a while. One of the reasons so many people are stuck in their old hurts and habits is because we've made Jesus just a patch on our uniform. It's a cool patch, but it's just a badge. And he asks 
to be first above everything, to be first place in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I'm so amazed that so many people say, Lord, Lord, and yet fail to obey me. And later on he says, and they will be amazed when I tell them I never knew them. The Bible is very clear. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You may say, well, what difference does it make if I give Christ some of my life or all of my life? After all, I'm better than most people I know, you know, compared to you, I'm, I'm okay, you know. Uh, and we kind of size ourselves up by who's sitting beside us. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad dad. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I, I'm a nice guy. I don't rob banks, you know. So what difference does it make if I give Christ everything? Well, it makes an incredible difference. For example, if you have $3 and you multiply it by $3 four times, you get $243. You add $1 more, $4, and you multiply it by $4 four times, and you get $1,024. Just that one more dollar changes it that much. When we commit our lives to Christ, whatever we give to Christ, He multiplies that so many times over in our lives, and our impact, and our influence, and our joy increases. The more we give to Him, the greater His presence is in our lives. The difference between some and all is absolutely spectacular. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. It's convenience. Selective obedience is when people determine when and where they will obey. And then situational obedience says, well, if it's the right situation, I will obey. But the call of Christ is total obedience, total surrender. I doubt there's any wife here today who would be really happy if their husband was faithful to them 80% of the time. Or even 90%. Or even 99%. No, you want your husband to be totally faithful in marriage. It's 100% commitment to work. That's the same in our walk with Christ. Jesus is not an extra. He's not a bonus. He's God. It's not about earning more badges. It's about committing my life to his power to change me and transform my life. So what does this kind of surrender, this kind of commitment involve? You have some little cards. You can use those to write on or you can uh, write on a sheet of paper. Write the word commit. And then beside that word, write over and over. Sometimes people will say, I chose Christ November the 4th, 1986. And they think that's it. But it's an over and over commitment. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Paul said, I die daily to Christ. I, I, I think that when we understand that's his agenda, is to surrender to him every day. It changes our lives. Bill Bryant and his wife wrote out a contract with God early in their marriage. Uh, and, and they said, you know, God, we're going to give you our hearts every single day. And we're going to follow you. And Bill prayed a prayer every morning. He said, God, here's my body. You can walk in these feet 
You can use these hands. You can use my mind. You can use my mouth. You have my permission to work through me and work in me today. And if your agenda is different than mine, I choose yours. Each day, I choose to love. Each day, I choose to forget. Each day, I choose to help someone who is hurting. We choose our way or we choose God's way. I love this verse in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It's on your card. And now, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanksgiving. So I choose to commit and all of my life, and and here's the biggie, write the word everything. I choose to commit not most things, a lot of things, everything. Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to be all of your life. He is all of our lives. He's not a merit badge. He's Savior and Lord. So I choose to commit all of my life to God's control and care. And then why do you do that? You write the words, he loves me. When we truly understand God's care and love for us, it's not a surrender. It's a joy. It's a privilege. You have financial problems? He cares about that. You have health problems? He cares about that. You're struggling with an addiction? He cares about that. You're fearful about the future? He cares. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why does he invite us to come? Because he cares. The decision, are you ready to give God all of your life, your will, your love, your purpose, your future? And then there's a final question. You say, well, yes, sure I am. Well, will you? Will you give God control of all of your life? Will you make that kind of commitment to allow his power to change you and transform you into this amazing person that you didn't even know God could use? I've I've often said that I think the most exciting thing about heaven will be to discover the lives we touch through our lives that we weren't even aware was happening. I think that's going to be so much fun. But again, it's a multiplied effect. The more we give to God, the more impact our lives are going to have. It means I drop my pride, my schedule, my agenda, and I pick up God's grace, God's power, and God's love in my life. Jamie wrote a song uh, a few years ago about letting go. And she's going to come and sing that for us. And when she does, I want you to spend just a couple minutes looking at that card where you sign your name. And when you leave here today, I want you to take that card home and I want you to put it on your refrigerator or on your bathroom window and remind yourself every morning, God, I'm surrendering everything again to you today. Uh, As I'm thinking about whether my tire's flat or whether I'm going to be late for work or the kid just threw up, I'm surrendering everything to you today. Regardless of my circumstances, I'm giving you my all.
So as Jamie comes to sing, reflect for a moment on that.
Jamie, would you stand with me? I want you to clench your hands together like this. Think about the thing in your life that you have the most trouble trusting God with. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild or a husband or a wife or a friend or a crazy virus or something that frightens you and scares you. Now to ask you in faith to open your hands and give it to God. Father, this morning, we're letting go. We're trusting you with every part of our lives. And as your Holy Spirit reveals more things, we'll give those to you too. Father, there's so many things to be frightened of in this world, but there's one thing we can know. We serve a God who loves us, who is greater than the evil in the world, and who walks with us every step of this journey. So Father, if we're going to trust anyone, we're going to trust you. So we're letting go. Walk with us as we leave this place in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.